everybody, and welcome to Tales from the Heart, a podcast for Psychotrophic Cardiomyopathy Association. And again, I am joined with my co-host, Dr. Martin Marin of the Leahy Clinic. Good morning, Marty. Good morning, Lisa. How are you? Well, we're late like usual, but we were doing something important. Marty and I were discussing the agenda for the upcoming HCMA annual meeting, which will take place on October 21st in Morristown, New Jersey. Registration will be open very soon. And we have an exciting agenda with three breakout rooms and lots of topics that are of interest to the HCM community. So we do hope you all mark your calendars to join us in person in New Jersey in October 2023. We are here in May. And as you know, the concept of our themes of the month are to give us topics of discussion each month that are impactful to our community And we decided to be cute with May and refer to it as Medical Management May because we played with the letter M. Medical Management of Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy, Marty. We didn't have much in the toolbox for a lot of years, but our toolbox is growing. Can we review what standard therapy has been in the past for a minute and then talk about what's coming for the future? If we kind of reflect on you know, what has constituted the, the medical therapy for HCM, I think first again, we have to sort of, it's always helpful to sort of divide in terms of this discussion, HCM into obstructive HCM and non-obstructive HCM. So if you've got obstructive HCM, then what's formulated sort of the basis for medical therapy, which has usually been recommended to improve symptoms in patients with obstructive HCM, beta blocker and calcium channel blocker therapy. Those are the two drug classes that have been used historically over now several decades as the first line therapy to help improve symptom limitation if you have it with obstructive HCM. And I'll just mention beta blocker, and calcium channel blocker are the class of drugs. There's different types of drugs within those um, names of the of drug, different drugs within those two classes. Generally, those are being used to try to decrease the how forceful the heart comes together. Yeah, we're leveraging when we use those drugs, leveraging what we call the negative inotropic properties. All that means is that. Medical therapy for obstructive ATM is predicated on trying to decrease how forceful the heart contracts. And remember in HCM, this is a super forceful contracting heart. That's the way it is. And when you decrease that a little bit, that's helpful because that then translates into the obstruction decreasing, the pressures becoming less or normal in the heart. And then that translates into patients feeling better, okay? So beta blocker, calcium channel blocker have been the first line therapies in that capacity for HCM. We've also had additional medical therapy. We've had stronger negative inotropic therapy. So for patients that didn't get better or had side effects for beta blocker or calcium channel blocker, then over the last couple of decades, disopyramide has been the next option usually. And that's an antiarrhythmic drug, but we're not using it in, in this capacity for its antiarrhythmic properties. We're using it again because it also has negative inotropic properties. It can decrease contractility. That's the way the drug works. And that also can, again, make patients feel better. Those are, have been the three drugs that have principally been used 
And then when patients either don't get better or have side effects or don't tolerate those drugs, that is when we have been moving toward invasive therapy with septal reduction therapy options. Pause there for one yep. second, because I want yep. to go back to disopyramide, which some people really like and some people don't tolerate so well. Right. But I think it's important to talk about Norpace-CR as the label drug for disopyramide in a long-acting formulation, as opposed to generic disopyramide, which is in a short-acting and thereby you can have these ebbs and flows and valleys of penetration of the drug because some of the generics dilute too fast and don't stay in the system as long. So we would yeah. love to have better access to Norpace-CR. And there is a little bit of a, a silver lining here. I know Pfizer has applied to the FDA for what's called real world indication label for HCM because we're not on the label for Norpace-CR right now. So they haven't been producing enough, thereby we fall into shortage often. So there's some hope that that drug might become more available for some, but not for all. And we'll see how that goes. I'd also like to discuss the use of some other agents that we don't use as frequently, but for those who are dealing with chest pain that seems to be more related to microvascular disease in HCM, can you talk a little bit about sodium channel blockers and ranolazine or Renexa? There's a drug called ranolazine or Renexa. It's a drug that can change the at the heart cellular level, some of the properties that are going on there that then by doing that can affect how well the heart relaxes and also the blood flow to the heart at the level of the muscle, so improving the blood flow at the muscle level. Renolazine, for that reason, is sometimes considered in patients with HCM who are limited by chest pain syndrome or chest pain. They get frequently uh, feelings of chest pressure and pounding and, 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 and pain that we believe is due to and, and an inadequate blood flow to the heart muscle at the tissue level. And so a drug like renolazine is now sort of being considered sometimes to help in that situation if other drugs haven't worked like beta blocker or calcium channel blocker therapy. So that's where renolazine is used, mostly as an agent to improve chest pain if that's a predominant or important symptom in a patient with HCM. We have beta blockers, we have calcium channel blockers, we have Norpace or disapyramide. For some, we have renolazine. It's a very small number that uses that, but it, it's come up a couple of times in the past week, which is why I brought it up. What about the role of diuretics? Diuretics, which are a class of drugs that remove fluid from the body, usually. And that is a drug then that has a select use in some patients with HCM, mostly those that are non-obstructive, who have more advanced heart failure symptoms that have led to the retention of fluid. Sometimes it's used in non-obstructive with heart failure symptoms without retention of fluid, because sometimes it can also, by, by removing fluid, lower the pressures in the heart. So essentially, diuretics are selectively used to improve symptoms in patients with non-obstructive HCM who have more advanced symptoms. It should not be used in obstructive HCM because it can lower blood pressure sometimes too much. And with obstruction, that can be associated with increased risk. So we don't use it in obstructive. That's what's in the toolbox right now. 
but the toolbox is growing as I alluded to earlier, a year ago or thereabouts, we got our first new drug with a labeled indication and that was Mavicamptin or Campsios. And then we have clinical trials still underway in Campsios and we have clinical trials underway in Afficamptin. And now we have some antifibrotic drugs that are being evaluated and we have these SGL2 inhibitors, which have now been approved by the FDA for use in HEFPAF as of yesterday. Like this is breaking news. So Farsiga just got approved for HEFPAF and HEFRAF, not specifically HCM, but HEFPAF and HCM are close. So I think we'll, we are seeing more people using it. Let's talk a little bit about what's coming for the toolbox in the future. What do we think about myosin inhibitors? So myosin inhibitors are, you know, a class of drugs, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, new class of drugs that have been developed over the last five to 10 years, and they can include what are called myosin enhancers and myosin inhibitors. So we're using the myosin inhibitors to apply them to HCM. And the two myosin inhibitors are Mavicamptin or Camzios. It's the first one that's been approved for use in HCM since May of last year. And the next generation one is called Afficamptin, and that's still currently under investigation in a phase three advanced clinical trial in, in, in HCM. And so the here's, here's the deal. These, the myosin inhibitors w- work because they target, or this is how they work in HCM, they target the structural apparatus of the heart itself, which is called the sarcomere. And so they target that in a way that decreases contractility, the force of contraction of the heart. So these are drugs that have another way of kind of what we call dialing down the contractile force of the heart. And by again, by doing that, you can decrease or eliminate the obstruction, normalize the pressures in your heart, and that will make you feel much better if you've got obstructive HCM. So a lot of the benefit of the myosin inhibitors that we've already seen in clinical trials and now in clinical use with Mavicamptin is, I think, predicated on its mechanism of action to decrease obstruction to normalize pressures. I'll just make one other point that we, you know, one area of investigation as well with these drugs that we don't know the answer to is whether they will have other benefits to them that go, that are independent or in addition to lowering the pressures from obstruction. Will they change the structure of the heart in a beneficial way by taking them over long periods of time? Will they alter the, 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 the energetics of the heart in a way that will make patients feel better independent of the fact that the pressures are more normal? We don't know the answers to those questions yet. Those are being investigated and will probably take longer time to work out. So the primary benefit right now for those drugs is based in their ability to normalize the pressure gradient in obstructive HCM. So that means that they are now, Mavicamptin, another medical therapy option for those obstructive patients that are symptomatic that have not improved with what we just talked about, beta blocker or calcium channel blocker therapy. So I'm going to pause there for a second because there's going to be another shift coming in a couple of weeks, potentially, 
the FDA is poised to make another label or an updated label for CAMSIOS for those who are referred for septal reduction therapy. So anybody, right now it's class two, three heart failure and a gradient at a certain level. The label will switch a little bit on the PDUFA date of June 16th is, is when we're expecting to hear this back that anybody who is referred for septal reduction therapy could also consider CAMZIOS. So they don't have to be class two, three, they can just have a high gradient and they've been referred for surgery or alcohol ablation and they can then consider um, a medical management. It doesn't really change the label a lot. It's a slight move. It's not for the non-obstructed at this point, that data is not available yet, but there will be a slight change in the label I suspect in a month or so after the FDA acts, and we'll notify you when that authorization is made and what the new label will be. Um, so, so let me just put it together there. So let me just put that together there for, for everybody, because I think that's a really good point. Let, let's connect all those dots for a second. Let's do it. By doing that, I'm I'm also you know referring back for a minute to the last practice guidelines for HCM in 2020, which said... These are ACC, American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association, HCM guidelines for treatment. Also said that patients can consider surgery or alcohol ablation if they've got severe symptoms that are not responsive to beta blocker or calcium channel blocker. So without escalating beyond that, patients then still have the option at this point to go forward with that as long as those procedures can be done in an expert high volume center where outcomes for myectomy and alcohol ablation are very good. So that so you, with that said and what you with what you just said about Mavicampton, you know I think this is kind of how we're practicing today is that in a patient with obstructive HCM who is still frustrated with how they feel despite beta blocker or calcium channel blocker that at that point in the road so to speak we are having a discussion with patients about one or more multiple options. Mavicampton, Norpace, considering Norpace, and considering septal reduction therapy with myectomy or alcohol ablation. In other words, all of those options are kind of now on the table for patients to consider if they aren't happy with how they feel despite beta blocker or calcium channel blocker therapy. That's what all of what we've just said really means, I think, to patients, essentially. So that's the kind of the algorithm that I think we're dealing with right now with what we know now about Mavicampton in obstructive HCM. We have a question from the audience, and this is, Marty, when will we know if myosin actin inhibitors also cause changes in oxidation requirements of the cardiomyocytes? Wow, good question. Thanks, Nell. That's a great question. You know, I don't know the answer to that. I, I'm not sure when we're going to know that or whether there or how that is going to be investigated or answered. I'm not sure how we would get to that answer. You know, there are special MRI techniques called MRI spectroscopy. These are specialized MRI, you know, techniques that can look at the, the energy utilization and, and oxygenation of the cardiac cells, that's a research-based study. I'm not sure if it's been applied to patients on ATM with Mavicampton to see yet what that looks like. I, I think some trials might be coming up. I've had some recent conversations about some international trials using MRI and, and myosin inhibitors. 
So yeah. stay tuned. I think we'll have some answers. Answers don't come as quickly as we want because trials take time. So I think we're looking at a two to three year line on that. And we have had some other questions recently within the community about myosin inhibitors that I think are worth a little extra discussion. Are we seeing regression and hypertrophy with myosin inhibitors? And if so, is it significant or is it mild or what are we seeing? With any myosin inhibitors, are we seeing regression of hypertrophy? Yeah, I think the, the here's where here's what we know about that right now is that there's been some, and this is largely MRI studies that have been part of the bigger myosin inhibitor trials, mostly speaking about Mavicampin because that's farther along that have shown that in some patients taking Mavicampin or a myosin inhibitor, that there's some evidence for changes to wall thickness, left atrial size that are there after certain period of treatment compared to before myosin inhibitor therapy. So small studies, not conclusive yet, so we don't know the full answer to that question yet. And remember, it's hard to know sometimes whether the changes that you're seeing with the drug are from the drug itself or because the drug is lowering the pressures and that lowering of the pressures is what's responsible for the changes. So it's going to take a while, in other words, to work out that issue. So we need more time. We don't know the answer yet. What else is coming down the pike? Coming down the pike are, you know, and again, I don't know if this is what you mean or whether we want to get into this necessarily, but as 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 you know, there are gene therapy initiatives mm-hmm. that are beginning, just beginning in HCM. Big topic. It's a very topic. topic, kind of a complicated, very complicated space in terms of understanding the treatment itself and the expectations, but that's, that's not just coming, that's starting. You want to add anything to that? Obviously it's a big topic. So I spent a great deal of time over the past three months on this topic and talking to thought leaders from literally all over the world, because it is a new concept. We're going to be bringing a webinar to the audience in about a month, and we're going to be talking about some ethical considerations. We're going to be talking about the mechanism in which genetic therapies are delivered to the heart and how they work through the body and what some of the positive and negative downstream consequences could be. This is not a simple conversation. It's not just a new drug. It's a new concept of altering the path of the disease. And we're not 100% sure how successful it will be yet because it is a phase one trial that we're talking about. And there are currently four different companies working on slightly different approaches to how to develop and and deliver genetic therapies. This is going to be a long conversation. This is going to be a lot of really smart people trying to bring something to market. And this is a market and we have to figure out how to do this safely and with realistic expectations. This phase 1B 
We're not going to give somebody therapy necessarily that's going to alter their disease. It might. We just want to know if we can get to the destination. Can we deliver a therapy through an AAV9, which I'll explain all that in the next webinar, virus vector that will attach itself to the heart muscle and deliver a correction of particularly myosin binding protein C. That's the first target. There's other targets that are looking at troponin. There are other things going on in Dana's disease that they've had some experience. There's a trial getting started in ARVC. So there's other genetic cardiac diseases that are being looked at with this therapy, but we are in early, early days. We might look back at this in five years and go, my goodness, how little did we know and look where we are now and be happy. Or we may look back and go, our caution was completely right. And maybe it's not going to meet all of our expectations, but we're not going to know until we try. And that's going to take some trial participants to step up. Who are they? Don't know yet. Definitely, if you have a myosin binding protein C mutation and you've already been in touch with the HCMA, we're going to be sending out invitations later today for a focus group at the end of the month to get you out all together to ask you what you want and ask you what you need to understand this therapy and help us build out the educational models that are going to be necessary for patients and clinicians to better understand this therapeutic option and walk forward with us as, as we learn. It's exciting, scary, new, got a lot of potential, but I think we're all kind of holding our breath and saying, how do we do this safely? And how do we make sure we're doing the best science possible? What do you think, Marty? Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, those are always foundations to sort of how we thoughtfully move forward with you know new new initiatives scientifically so i i completely agree i will say that you know i mean the the, the i think the gene therapy initiative is to emphasize one that is going to take a long time to work itself out in terms of our understanding of safety and efficacy and feasibility. So this is not going to be going at the same speed even as perhaps drug therapy initiatives go at or what we've experienced so far with drug therapy initiatives in HCM, which themselves take several years before we really understand you know, where those kind of treatments are in terms of their ability to improve care in HCM. So I think this is going to take even longer. So this is going to be a process that's going to, again, going to play out over long, long periods of time here. I think we have to just, as you said, settle in, be thoughtful, move forward, you know, in the right way, right, exactly. Um, but keeping in mind that this is a big, big, complicated picture. Yeah, it is. Um I'm I'm involved with a, a couple of different organizations right now who are doing this work. And the conversations are, are they're great. They're great. The science is really intriguing, but we have so much more to learn. And hopefully through these processes, we can develop some new biomarkers and we can look deeper into mechanistic action and maybe get some more targets that we understand better so we know who's progressing. So Again, it's a good time to have a bad disease. Uh, you know, I don't like HCM. I think I call myself the president of the I Hate HCM Club, but we have a lot more tools in, in the arsenal right now 
And that's how we that's how we move forward. We do have a couple of other questions coming in. Nell, um, I, I'm very interested to hear what you have to say. And if you want to send me any of those articles, I'm happy to take a look at them and I'll forward them over to Marty as well. And he's referring to a Dutch paper that's looking at um, oxidative stress um, and how NAD plus mechanisms might be slowed in HCM. Interesting paper, might be worth collaboration. I think that's Michelle Michel's group in the Netherlands doing that work. Uh, I think I've seen some of that and it looks, it does look very interesting. So send over the paper if I haven't seen it already and Marty hasn't seen it already, we'll take a look at it. So we talked about myosin inhibitors. There are companies developing antifibrotic agents and there are companies developing a next generation of myosin. I don't know if we want to call them inhibitors or all Alteration of my modulators. Modulators. Okay. So there, there's some other stuff coming. We also have the Imbria study for the non-obstructed HCM that is coming to conclusion. Thank you for all who participated. Um, so there's there's going to be a lot of changes in medical management. It's not just going to be throw a beta blocker on something because people don't really like beta blockers because they make most people feel tired. So having other options will be much nicer in the future. How long do you think it's going to take before we can figure out early on who's best on which drug? Yeah, that's a great question. And 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 I think, you know, I'll, I'll rephrase that question um, <laughs> lightly to say, you know, I think one of the big unanswered questions right now, but one that we need to start trying to clarify is which patients should be on these drugs earlier perhaps in their course than other patients. In other words, are there patients to whom in HCM, they are the ones that are gonna be most likely to benefit perhaps to interventions, drugs, whatever they may be, earlier in, in their clinical course, their natural history, rather than waiting longer to when symptoms may be more advanced, to, to, to achieve the benefit of that kind of earlier therapeutic intervention. Okay. It's not going to be for everybody. Not every, for example, not every single ATM patient is going to need to be on a myosin inhibitor at all. I see patients all the time who are doing great at advanced ages with HCM that incurred no complications and have no symptoms. They're going to live a normal life without intervention. So that's not a patient that probably needs to be on a very expensive drug for, for years on end. So identifying, and I think this is what you're sort of asking, is being able to identify prospectively which patients are the ones really who, who should be on these therapies is a big question that we need to start looking into in more detail. Completely agree. I think we can get there. I think we have enough patients now and we're getting more organized in some of our research endeavors as collaborative different programs and shared data and doing being able to do a bigger analysis. I think these are going to be critical. And I, I'm really excited as to where we are right now. I don't think we've ever quite been here before in HCM. So hopefully over the next months, we'll get even further. I just want to say one other thing before I know we're getting close to sort of the the maybe wrapping up here, but 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 just to get just to make a couple. So, and we've talked again a lot about this, but for the non-obstructive HCM patients, and there's a that's a third of the whole HCM population. 
maybe in some ways it's even more exciting time than it is for the obstructive because there are now going to be several initiatives looking at new therapies to improve symptoms in non-obstructive HCM, which as we know, has less options to begin with to help improve how patients feel. And those include trials with the myosin inhibitor drugs applied to non-obstructive HCM as a way to help improve the, the relaxation phase of the heart, the filling of blood, Perhaps other properties to those drugs will help improve how non-obstructive patients feel and improve maybe even how they function with exertional capacity. So both of the myosin inhibitors are going to be looked at in non-obstructive HCM in big trials coming up. Patients will have an opportunity to engage in those studies if they wish as well. And then Imbria, as you said, has a study looking at a different way of improving symptoms in non-obstructive compared to the myosin inhibitors. That's a drug that changes the energetics and the energetic um, substrate of the heart to improve efficiency of relaxation of the heart muscle. That's very, as you said, a very exciting initiative that we'll have some idea about in terms of um, results with a phase two study in non-obstructive HCM that's concluding soon. So really, really interesting time and perhaps a very important time for non-obstructive as well. Could not agree more. I um, want to be respectful of time. So I, I want to uh, kind of wrap up here with Medical Management May and remind patients that if you are not feeling as well as you want to feel, to really discuss your medical options with your, your care team, sometimes over time, we keep bumping up medications and the medications might make us feel worse than the disease itself. So maybe there are times where we talk about rolling back some meds because maybe our dose is too high and our metabolisms have changed or whatever, and we're not doing as well. So talk about your, your symptoms with your HCM care team and let them work on those options. I do want to touch on the one thing we talked about very, very briefly at the beginning of the podcast and that's the SGL2 inhibitors. And you mentioned prior to us going live that there are, or might be some studies in SGLT1 inhibitors in HCM coming. So Farsiga just got that approval for HEFPATH. I believe that Jardines will probably not be far behind. So do you have any comments on what you've seen in these drugs? Well, I, you know. It hasn't been a trial yet. So there hasn't really been a, a, a real a big trial, no. Um, and I think we need that to better understand. There's a whole other class of drugs, SGLT2 or 1 inhibitors, totally different class of drugs than anything we've been talking about today so far. Maybe we can spend a little bit more time on another podcast kind of going into sort of why these may work or be helpful in HCM. It's sort of complicated, and I'm not sure we even fully have worked out yet but they are still being applied and are going to be investigated in HCM. Particularly, I think they may have a benefit in non-obstructive HCM. That is um, very exciting too. That makes it another there are another initiative in non-obstructive HCM with a new drug that may have help may help improve in symptoms. But again, we're just starting there, so we've got probably two or more studies, tri clinical trials that are going to be done. So we're going to we're probably a couple years away 
from knowing the answer to that yet. I want everybody to stay tuned. This is kind of a cliffhanger. We don't have all of the answers yet. We are still evolving. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors of of the podcast, Tales from the Heart, which includes uh, Cytokinetics, Crystal Myers Squibb, Embryo Therapeutics, Tania Therapeutics, and Biomarin. So we have their contributions to thank for being able to produce these types of uh, educational formats to bring you in touch with the thought leaders in HCM and have these great conversations. Again, I want to remind everybody that the annual meeting is going to be in October 2023 in Morristown, New Jersey. For those of you who are volunteers of the HCMA, we have mechanisms in which your volunteer hours can earn you free access to the meeting. So if you haven't done your volunteer hours yet and you want to get more involved, please do so. I also want to give a shout out to all of the members of our brand new committee, our Health Equity Committee met for the first time about a week and a half ago, and we are working on some initiatives to address different populations within HCM that have been historically underserved. Specifically, we are looking for some volunteers to join us in our working groups that we're establishing for um, Black, African-American, Latino, rural, pediatric, and we're going to be doing a group with the Canadians And then we'll be building out some international endeavors based on what we learned from the Canadian experience. Future groups include, uh, we're going to set up a working group for the geriatric group because we have more patients with HCM achieving the age of 80 and greater. And we want to make sure that we're still there for them in their golden years. And I think that's a really big moment for us to want to build services for a constituency that 20 years ago didn't exist in the numbers it exists in today. So may we all achieve the year of 80 or greater, and may we provide services to that group that meet their needs as well. So it's kind of exciting that I have so many people contacting us now that are in their late 70s to 80s. And that says a lot for the work that's been done by Marty and your group and your dad and everybody that spent their life trying to help patients with HCM achieve long life. We're doing it but they still have needs and we have to address them. So Marty, any final thoughts before we close for the day? No, and that was a good summary there and look forward to seeing everybody in the fall at the meeting. That sounds great and exciting and hopefully a lot of fun. Definitely fun because the night after the meeting is the Unmask the Great Masquerader Ball. So we'll work during the day, take a little rest, a little siesta, and then come back and have a party and celebrate our community and recognize some of our great clinicians, researchers, and volunteers. So thank you for joining us on Tales from the Heart, and we look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. I will not be here next week. I will be in Geneva, Switzerland at the World Health Federation annual meeting representing the HCM community on the international scale. So I will report back from Geneva with hopefully some exciting information in two weeks. We'll be back with you on May 26th. Have a great day. Stay healthy and stay informed.